0: This is the Adoption Creates Families podcast. We're your host, Billy. And Lori. And we're back again with Jarrett. Hi, everyone. All right, honey, you've been reading a book lately, so...
1: So I've been reading a book called Uprooting Racism, How White People Can Work for Racial Justice by Paul Kivel or Kivel. I'm not really sure how you pronounce that, but I can, you know, they can look it up. And I wanted to discuss some of the concepts in here with Jarrett because I think a lot of what has solidified our friendship with Jarrett Carter is that we can openly talk about issues of racism and meet on common ground and that's rare it's i have found in my life it to be very difficult to openly discuss race issues with other white people though my black friends it seems that it just flows and we can always have kind of that like common ground because I'm not having to tell you. With you, you're able to pick it up before I even finish my statement. So I don't have to like convince you that this stuff is real. So I wanted to talk about this book a little bit. This book particularly was written by a Jewish white male, and he is wanting to discuss to white people the concept of racism existing. One of his big points that he's making is a, is a point that I've seen over and over again, is that white people, by and large, are uncomfortable talking about race. That they feel like even talking about race makes them racist. And and the definition of racism in this book really is more of a kind of like a violent intent. Like a true racist views those that are not of his racial or her racial group as inferior, but also uh, has sort of like malicious or even violent intent towards that person. So what this book is talking about in in one of the first few chapters, this author is discussing the fact that by and large, white people will try to claim that they're not racist. And the reasons that they give for not being racist are that they don't belong to the Klan, that they have friends of people of color. So oftentimes what Billy and I will hear is, you know, well, I'm not racist because I have friends who are black. And then also that they might do anti-racism work. So they might feel like they put themselves out there in a way that furthers race relations. But a lot of times I feel like, even if they make those claims, that it's coming from a place of being a little bit rose-colored glasses. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a little bit of an exaggeration.
0: Well, and I think it's, when we were discussing this book earlier today, I thought what was interesting to me is that I've never been able to articulate it yet until now, that it defined racism to me in a way that, I think people think of a racist as, yeah, somebody with a white hood that's burning a cross or holding a noose. And... Yes, of course that's a racist. But anything other than that is not racism. Exactly. And it's statements like, "Well, I have black friends." Okay, that's that's not exactly that's not as a progressive statement as that as the speaker probably thinks it is.
1: And define friend.
0: And I was going to say just from the other
2: side of it, so a lot of my black friends and I, when we hear some of our white friends say that, Um, remember that this levels to friends as well and so Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll see you know somebody that I know more casually not even Mm -hmm. close friends and they'll tout that on social media saying well I'm not racist I have black friends and meanwhile if you were to interview their black friends tag Jarrett Carter (laughs) right yeah they tag
1: tag their black friends in their Facebook status Um,
2: Right, so that right. they can
1: prove it so people can go like like stalker oh he does have black look he has right. three black friends
2: and then meanwhile the black friends are just like yeah they're racist yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like
1: yeah we know him we'll vouch for it he's a racist
2: <laughs> it's just like did you see that parody on youtube um, of the black insurance and so it was like you get to be like that black friend that they're friends with and so it's just like they appear like the state farm commercial and say what they meant was and then try to clean yes. it up afterwards yes so I joke around and I say, yeah, I don't offer that service. I said that, yes. you know, I love all my friends, but if you say something that's racist, you're on your own.
1: Yes, <laughs> I'm not going to vouch for you. Because what you're referring to is it's like the black guy would step in and be like, I'm his friend and he's right. really not a racist. And that's what the, why they're using the term uh, black insurance. Right. Like my friend can vouch for the fact that I'm not a racist. When he really can't. So Jared, a couple of years ago, introduced to, to me the, the notion of a terminology I hadn't heard before um, called a microaggression. So I wanted to talk about what is a microaggression, like what is what defines microaggression? Like, what does that even mean? And then what would an example of that be and kind of unpack that?
2: Sure. So a microaggression, we know about like bigger outright forms of aggression, right? So, you know, you have um, housing discrimination, you have, you know, you have within uh, police industries, brutality. like,
1: um, not industries, but within systematic, systematic racism. So you're talking about like the prison system being stacked against. Exactly. Yes. So you
2: have more of those macro su- systemic things that happen, right. but you also have comments. Um, you Well, microaggressions are oftentimes more passive, right? Yes. And so I, I always say that they're pointed but passive. And so it will be the example of when somebody, you know, may, maybe it's like you're walking down the street with somebody and you somebody's coming from the other side of you. And when they pass you, they grab their purse or they, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. That's a form of a microaggression because even though it was not said that I'm doing this because you're black, you know that it's happening because you know that's what that's what it is. Yeah. And it was funny because even in college, um, one time I went through Manhattan with one of my friends from college, and he said, "Man, do we smell or something like that? Like why is everybody kind of avoiding us and walking on the other side of the sidewalk?" Mm-hmm. And I was trying to figure out. I said, "No, that always happens." And it wasn't until I said, "Oh." It always
1: happens because I'm always black. Right. So I said,
2: (laughs) let me explain to you what that is. Yeah. And he said, no way, no way. But then we took separate trains out of Manhattan and my life continued as usual. And he said, yeah, wait, yeah, nobody started walking away from me after that so there's forms of that a lot of times i find that there are comments so there are things you know it's even things like if you, you know if a black woman gets a new hairstyle asking me to touch her hair mm-hmm. or asking her all these questions about what she does to her hair and stuff like that and mm-hmm. sometimes it can come from a place of curiosity and i understand that but other times like when you're incessantly getting those questions you know that can get a little bit frustrating as well particularly like with a tacky question like is that your real hair because you wouldn't ask anybody else is that your real hair yeah. right
1: and you don't know how many times she's been asked that that week. Right. So, like, get you know, you, you need to move on. An mm-hmm. example I have um, of a microaggression is with Isaac in particular that he will often be praised for being articulate. Um, yes. And the reason that I view that as a microaggression is because the assumption is that a black teenage boy would not be articulate. So right. when that he, he is, would, well, he impresses them. And,
0: yeah, that he would talk like a thug. I mean, right. let's call it what it is. They right. probably are surprised that he doesn't
1: speak in what they would stereotype as a traditional way that a black boy would
0: speak. Yeah,
2: and we had a big debate about, not the three of us, but we, but um, I was back at home and had a big debate about that whole thing of, well, you know, somebody said, well, you should accept that as a compliment if somebody calls you well-spoken, because I get that very often. And I said, but the problem with that is, you know, even, and this was a conversation at a former job that I had, and, you know, and I said, the problem with that is that, there are counterparts in my job who use the same vernacular that i do who speak the same way that i do that articulate their thoughts the same way that i do and nobody ever says oh you're so well spoken it's like right. implicitly understood oh well yeah of course, well, of course they are mm-hmm. and so you know when people say that to me and i you know my thing is like why does that surprise you you know yeah you know, I have a graduate degree, you know, I went to college, I did all these things, Mm -hmm. like, of course this is how I talk, Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, it's just, like you said, the bar gets set, the bar gets set so low. That's an important piece. And, you know, even other things, because on the other side of it, is that people tend to perceive black people as being angry, um, the threshold is so low for what anger is. And so, another microaggression that I dealt with early in my career was that if I, if I was expressing dissent in a meeting, Mm -hmm. people would say, oh, you're so angry. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, you know, I don't, you know, I love my job, but I get mm-hmm. to go home from it at the end of the day and my job doesn't define me. So I don't get worked up over like that. Yep. But then I notice, that. Or at least that's what you internally. That's internally think, right? But then there'll be other people who'll be in a meeting and will out, outright be hostile yep. in a meeting. And then people will say, oh, well, they're just being passionate. Yes. Right. And so, again, that's another form of a microaggression. Absolutely.
1: It's the terminology.
2: Right. And then, you know, even people acting like, you know, oh, Jared's so angry and almost making me sound like I could be violent. Right. And the crazy thing about it is, like, that's not what's going through my head at exactly. all. Exactly. But, you know, it's almost like my mentor was talking to me before about, like, sometimes, like, there is a way that you're perceived in the meeting even if that's not who you are. And yep. so it's almost like, there's this invisible load that comes with that because i have to remind myself of who i am and not get caught in how people perceive me and things like that but then it does mean when i'm in meetings i have to be very careful of how i articulate my thoughts i have to be very careful of my facial expressions yep um i have overly, to be a very overly
1: overly conscience of it is what you're saying
2: exactly and so it's just all these internal conversations that i'm having at the same time yes because i'm Cautious of not just the words that are coming out of my mouth, but how I'm presenting those words, yep. my posture, my body language, yep. and you know.
1: And all of that is what we tell Isaac all the time. Yeah. Right. And I said, it's unfortunate that it's this way, mm-hmm. but if you start getting loud in the cafeteria, even playfully, mm-hmm. it's going to come off to a bystander teacher as aggressive. Mm-hmm. And then she's going to label that the, this table's getting rowdy.
0: Right.
1: Um, even though you're just having fun.
0: You, you're giving you're killing me because you've actually given me like, I've got three questions I want to oh, ask.
1: sure.
0: I'm trying to decide like how I want to, like, I don't want to lose any of in them. In what order? Um, okay, so may, may I'll, just, I'll name the questions, mm-hmm. and then I'll try not to overwhelm you with them. Sure. So what do you remember, for us, for mm-hmm. me and Lori, who are raising black boys into men, mm-hmm. what do you remember about your upbringing, either from your parents or from other people in the church that have helped you prepare for that to be in a meeting and or, or whatever? Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, was it trial and error, or was it that you were prepared from a young
0: age? Mm-hmm. I think it's a mixture
2: of both so there was definitely the talk that my parents had with me the normal talk that they have like with their black sons right uh well
1: and i saw a meme where it was like white the white version of the talk with your son is about sex the birds Mm -hmm. and the bees the black version of the talk with your son is about race
2: and that's exactly what it is and so you know the two things and it was a longer talk but my attention span was short at that age but the two things that i always remember is my mom said a never run for a bus so she said, if, if you get there, you just need to make it your business to be at the bus five minutes early. Mm-hmm. If you miss the bus, oh well, wait for the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one is always get a shopping bag and a receipt um, when you buy something at the corner store. Because, yeah. again, you always need proof that you bought that. Because, again people will confuse one black person for another. So yep. if one black person runs, um, off, with runs a, off with something, they're going to look at you. Yep.
0: And you can't see how big I am, but I can't run. Right, so right. <laughs> you know they're going to get me one way or another. Exactly. And um, that's so funny. That, that Something earlier, <laughs> an anecdote that happened today. Sure. We're, we're at Lori's mom held a, a picnic at her house, and we're in line with food, and somebody who I won't say who said to me and Lori, you've got family in town and I've heard they're twins, and she looks at Jaden and goes, So are you fraternal?
1: To Jaden, because they thought Jaden was one of the twins. You weren't there? No. I thought no. you heard
0: yeah. this. I were you you're, you're you're, working away. I was right there? You with were you. there. Mm-hmm.
2: That was golden. They don't look alike. No. And that's the up uh, so that's the other thing. Like not even the same I can't age. tell you they're how too, often Jaden's two years older. I can't yes. tell you how often that has happened though. I was actually confused So, again, because it was just myself and two other friends growing up that were in the same swim class. Um, And the reason why was, candidly, because my dad said I'm not raising black kids who can't swim because we're going to be at some white Mm -hmm. resort Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be the one to go get you when you're drowning. So... We took these swim lessons, and we were, I mean. We have an anecdote to tell you about that. We'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah, we'll tell yeah. That'll be right. off mic. Yes. And so, you know, we were th- we were in the same swim le- class for three or four years, and even three or four years later, they kept confusing my black friend and I. Oh, yeah. And it's crazy. Well, actually, he's actually not black. He was half Belizean and half Panamanian. Okay, I gotcha. Very athletic build. Okay. Uh-huh.
1: you're like we literally we do not, do look,
2: not alike. look alike. You know, did you I did. The, hair I had cuts? the short. That's what I was gonna say. I had. Yeah. I always had the short um yeah. Caesar cut. Yeah. He had more of like a taper. Like yeah. even now, when you look at pictures of us, we look nothing alike, right. and yet people would confuse and say, "Oh, Brandon." I'm like, that, I'm, not
1: Brandon. I'm not Brandon. I don't Brandon. look like
2: Brandon. The first six weeks, it was cute. Yeah the next 3 years oh my
1: gosh beyond <laughs> the
2: fact that you can't recognize me from him yes. and i said to people i said look i'm not sensitive i'm not sensitive about my weight Jared is a fat one. Brandon is the athletic <laughs> one. Like, you can go off of that for all yes, I care. Yes, exactly. And so, but people just did not.
1: Well, I, I, I'm conscious of the fact that it is a, a common, you know, um, stereotype that, they, that black people, you know, will all look the same or we mm-hmm. don't know one boy from another. So, one time I was shopping for, I was doing school shopping with Isaac and he took the cart that had my purse in it and like went around the corner to look at stuff. So I was looking at, and I knew he had gone. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at stuff. So I just absent mindedly come around the corner and I see a cart there and I'm like, hey, you still got my purse? And I said it to a kid, his height, who was black <laughs> who was not Isaac. And as soon as I said it, I go, and he looked at me like, no, I don't have your purse. And as oh, no. soon as I said it, I go, you're not my son. I don't know why I thought you were. And then Isaac came around the corner and he goes, no, mom, I'm your son. The other black kid's standing here. And we all just laughed. Right. Right. And the kid that I had, you know, thought was my own child thought it was funny, but mm-hmm. it was particularly comical because I was aware that that even, like, I don't know, I can't even tell my own child apart from another, you know, as a white person. <laughs> right. So, of course, I was immediately embarrassed. Did he but, look like I said? Uh, no, but he's the same height.
0: So literally, <laughs> I, of my, you're in grocery shopping, shopping mode. Kid. You're yes, right, not right, in right.
1: the same outfit. Like, what am I doing? Ridiculous. One of the things that was interesting in this book that the author noted is that when, ta- when you're talking about somebody, say I'm saying the clerk at Walmart was, was telling me that there's a great football team we could join. Mm-hmm. If the clerk is white, you will never hear somebody say the white clerk at Walmart. But if the clerk is any other ethnicity, by and large, and we would do it, mm-hmm. you feel the need to make a connotation as to what the, the Asian clerk, right. the Hispanic clerk, the black clerk.
2: And do you notice that Why that often that? happens when you get when you're, you're talking about bad customer service? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like you know, like and again, it, it's used a lot. But I often find, especially when it's when it's when it's a bad customer service experience then they'll say, oh, the black, the black waitress, waitress you know, the Hispanic cashier, yes. you know, and all these different things. And it's just, you know, it's just interesting how we ascribe that to race, even subconsciously. Yep. And that's, But that's how microaggressions are formed. Because yes. a lot of people will say, like you were saying in the book, well, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not in Charlottesville with my white hood on and things like that. But one of the things I think people have to understand is that The same mindsets that lead you to do microaggressions Mm -hmm. snowball out to be the mindset that will lead you to go out with a torch and, you know, march for the KKK and want to lynch people. And it just happens in different ways because what we have to realize, too, is that the same intent will manifest itself in different ways. I live right outside of Washington, D.C., And somebody actually, you know, there was actually uh, recently a lawsuit of redlining uh, people of black people having less favorable mortgage terms than their white counterparts. Wow. Um, Define redlining. Oh, redlining. So um, historically, redlining was used, you know, when desegregation happened of neighborhoods. The next um, line of defense was for mortgage companies to give subprime mortgages to... (laughs) <laughs> borrowers of color, mm-hmm. and so by giving them subprime mortgages, again, if you have a super high interest rate, it reduces the amount that you can borrow, which right. will price you out of a neighborhood. Or so that
1: was their way of keeping the blacks from living in a particular community because then they couldn't afford it.
2: Exactly, yeah. and it's something that still happens today. Yeah, and so you know, um, and one of the one of the people um, in the class action lawsuit actually goes to my church. Okay, and they're part of that class action suit, and so. Wow. Again, no, you're not marching out with the KKK, but it also means, and that was why even when I was buying my house, like I had to be really clear and let people, you know, and um, read the terms and everything like that to make sure that didn't happen to me. Exactly. And it's crazy that in 2018, these are still considerations, yes. yeah. but the same mindset that will have you in Charlottesville could be the same mindset that to get a mortgage, think about it. Think of all the hands that that paperwork has to pass through. Yes. It's not just, you know, it's not like having a bad um, customer service experience at Walmart where you're dealing with one clerk. Right. This is, this pass from the underwriter to right. the loan processor, to even the um cust the front facing customer service, all the way up to the underwriter, and all these people see it and pass it along. Right. If you don't see that as a problem, that wait, why is it that when somebody's last name is Jenkins or Johnson or Williams or those other last names, that the interest rate is higher, or that the, the or that the mortgage rates are less favorable yep. when they have the same credit, yep. the same income? Sometimes, if not better, if
0: you don't do anything, you're complicit in that. Yep. So that leads me to my second question that I was mm-hmm. going to ask you earlier, which is what's been your experience when, when this conversation does come up in, in your community, in your mm-hmm. circle of friends who are white mm-hmm. in trying to explain to them, the, the purse the lady that you see at the mall that's grabbing her purse or mm-hmm. why you always get a receipt like what's what's been your experience with the the reaction
1: what's the reaction amongst your white community church members friends when you're trying to get them to see the reality of a moment like that so i think it's what billy's saying
2: so i you know i think i think it it widely depends you know i have some you know obviously like the two of you who are very open to Mm -hmm. it and you know love to pick my mind about it and i have a lot of people at church who are very supportive and um you know even when they're supportive of your blackness supportive right <laughs> well supportive, supportive also the, that when things lived happen yeah this experience, yep. lived experience yep. and when things happen and i you know and i need to vent about something i'm gonna say i can't believe that so-and-so said this at work or yes. whatever you know they're there i do think this is also this group um and i was telling billy earlier today that there was a survey and i couldn't find it But there was a survey that talked about, you know, they asked white respondents, um, do you believe that racism exists in America? And the majority said yes. Mm -hmm. But then it was, does racism exist in your zip? Do you believe that racism exists in your zip code? Right. And the majority said no. Yeah. And so a lot of people, particularly after Charlottesville, particularly after a lot of comments. Now talk
1: about when you've mentioned Charlottesville three times. So just mm -hmm. for listeners who don't know what you're referencing.
2: So there, because was, it is possible that people don't know. Right, that's yes. true. That's true. There was a KKK rally in Charlottesville last summer. Mm-hmm. It started out. It started out for a variety of different reasons, mm-hmm. but then it ultimately manifested itself to be um, a white supremacist rally, uh, rally. There were a lot of very, very awful racist things that were said. There, awful posters. And it ultimately claimed the life um, of somebody, too, that somebody who was protesting the march was actually killed. Wow. Um, They ran her over with a car. Mm. And so, you know, and as of right now, they're trying to get a permit for a march for this year. They want to make
1: it like an annual thing. They want to make it
2: like an annual thing. And so that was very, that was very rough to watch because I'm seeing in color TV what I saw in black and white pictures in my history book. Yep. And so, when, we're having, when we were having these conversations last year with people, you know, like I said, a lot of people are comfortable with, under, you know, more and more people are becoming comfortable with understanding that racism is a thing. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, I think that it still gets politicized in a way that makes people uncomfortable also. Yeah. yeah. And so, I think about experiences where, you know, one time I went out with a group of friends and we were going to a rural part of Maryland and there were, there were just some signs that we were seeing and things like that in front of the houses. And so like
1: um, Confederate flags, Confederate flags,
2: blue lives matter, Mm -hmm. you know, and very, you know, And let me
1: pause about the blue lives matter thing. So Mm -hmm. obviously um, just so that it's said and known, we, we respect and um, honor law enforcement. Yes. But the blue lives matter movement came out in direct opposition against the black lives matter movement. So even though we don't have a problem with people honoring the lives of officers. When you've got a counterattack to something that was a movement and you feel like you have a counterattack, it actually serves the purpose of being an, uh, an enemy and an opposer an, to that
2: because
0: right. you've got As black evil. lives matter and then you've got no blue, blue lives matter. matter
1: or all lives matter and what you're doing is you're saying oh and and i think oftentimes when people say that what they're not understanding is that it is a given that all lives matter right and it is a given that law enforcement lives matter mm-hmm. what has not been a given is that black lives also matter
2: right and the you know what was interesting is that my pastor did a sermon on this a couple of years ago and the distinction that he made was that black lives matter was a movement all lives matter was response okay and i think that's sometimes where so and yeah so that's that's a good disclaimer thank you is that i'm not against law enforcement but you're saying that
1: if somebody is feeling the need to broadcast that with a flag or a sign in their front yard it's mm -hmm. it's almost it's provocative it's 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 provocative provocative. in a way like they're claiming they're a white supremacist even if that's not what they're trying to claim
2: right especially because you know in in the time frame of the story was right after we had seen a rash of um a lot of uh killings of innocent civilians black civilians by the by the police and so to put that up there again was a response not so much a statement yeah and so we were you know it was getting to a point where it was starting to get late in the evening and somebody said well should we stop here to eat and you know in that moment you know i was still new to maryland so i didn't know everyone as well but i was the one who was driving they were all in my car and I'm trying to find a way to explain to them, I'm not comfortable here right yeah. now. So I want to get to where we're going. And so then the people in eat. your
1: car were white?
2: Right. Gotcha. And so, you know, it was a it was a very wide response between the three of them. Because the first one said, yeah, this isn't cool. We should go. Mm-hmm. You know, if Jared's not comfortable, we you know, and I get why he's not comfortable. Because he also one, observed those things. He observed it. Yeah. And so he saw it. And then the second white person in the car says, I don't necessarily know that that's racist, but if you're not comfortable, I know you're not crazy, okay. and so let's go." Mm-hmm. Okay. The third one was the one that said, I can't believe you're you know, I can't believe you're saying that you're painting all white people with a bad brush, and this, that, mm-hmm. and the other. And so it was just a very wide response, even Big among time. those three people. And yeah, I think that it makes generally- makes for a good illustration. It yeah. makes for a very good illustration, because I think that a lot of times it falls into those buckets. So you have the first bucket that will say, well, we believe that racism exists, um, and we're compassionate towards it. And we're compassionate towards it. However, so it will right. We're compassionate towards it, and we're empathetic, and yeah. we will be involved. The second bucket, I think, will say, and I'm simplifying it for the sake of discussion. I understand right. that there's nuance and yeah. everything there. The second bucket will often say, "Yes, racism exists." However, I don't believe that we need to bring race into every discussion. And we need to understand
1: mm-hmm. the context before we claim. We need to
2: understand the context, and then the other thing too is that you, you mentioned church, and I think a lot of people will believe that. As Christians, our response is simply to pray about it and not have any, and be very cautious about conversations that you have. They're a lot less likely to be
1: an activist,
2: right? So it's very anti-activist almost, and it's almost like promoting peace over um, promoting peace over justice or order over harmony, right? And then you know, then there's obviously that third bucket of people who don't believe that racism is a thing, believe that. Black people perpetuate racism, or people of color Mm -hmm. in general perpetuate racism. So it's generally this wide gamut, and I'm finding that you have to pivot how you have those conversations with with people. And the one thing that I always try to do in all of those is that, you know, I often tell people, I'm not telling you what to think, I'm just sharing my experience, and you do with that what you will. And
1: that's why I've often begun using the term lived experience, Mm -hmm. because It's very arrogant, and they'll still do it, but it's very arrogant and presumptuous for somebody to try to argue against your lived experience. Right. So that is really, I feel like, the bridge that is going to gap, that's going to come over the gap and bridge the space between racism isn't an issue anymore, Mm -hmm. and it is, is you've got to have those lived experiences.
2: I should also clarify for the sake of this discussion that I go to a very multiracial church. Mm -hmm. Um, So all different nationalities are represented. We have a wall in the back of the sanctuary with flags from all the countries that are represented and it spans mm-hmm. the whole sanctuary mm-hmm. because because we have that many people. Mm-hmm. And so one time we were having it was after I forgot, honestly it's sad, I'm losing track of which time somebody was shot but they exactly. were back-to-back. Because right. it, we're
1: talking was, a half a dozen a year right. since Trayvon Martin.
2: Right. I think it was the ones in uh, Dallas, actually. Okay. The, the back-to-back ones that happened in Dallas. Yes. And so we were having choir practice. And instead of having, de- well, we had devotions, but then our creative arts pastor wanted to just have a discussion to see what people were thinking. Got it. And so, you know, normally I'm very nervous about those types of discussions because it can go any sort of way. I was sleep deprived and so my filter was a little bit more gone. And so I went ahead and just shared my experience and everything there. Yeah. And what was interesting was that, again, the buckets all fell different places. And so based on the audience, right, based on the audience, the majority though came to me afterwards and said, Jared, we had no idea. Mm -hmm. Like we thought, you know, like one person kind of said, like, I didn't know that happened here in Bowie, Maryland. Yeah. I didn't know that that happened in New York. Yep. I thought that was all just the South. Yep. And so, you know, when I talked about my experience being profiled by police. When I talked about my experience on the job and things like that, they were shocked. and said, we just, you know, I didn't know. And I think interesting. And I appreciate that.
1: First and foremost, they believed you.
2: Right. Yeah. Because the thing of it is... And again, we need to continue telling the story in the media, right? We need mm-hmm. because that's what that's what starts the conversation. Yeah. But a lot of times, people will trust you before they trust what they see on TV. Yeah. And so, hearing it from me, somebody that they already know, you know, people that, you know, we crack jokes in choir practice all the time, so exactly. we're already cool with each other, right? To hear from me and say I didn't know. Now, you know, there were a couple of people who afterwards found me afterwards and kind of got defensive. Piece, you know. One, you know, but it's neither here nor there it's neither here here nor there (laughs) and i'm being recorded so yes
1: well yeah you're like we'll we'll, again we'll go off camera when we tell her those stories right but um right you posted on facebook recently a status that said let me be clear racism is not something new it's just now being recorded right so i think people need to understand that that these are, this yep. is not, why is all of this racist stuff happening? It's always happened, mm-hmm. but now we've got the cell phone camera and we've got Facebook Live and mm-hmm. we've got the ability for people to put it out there. And I'm in, I personally am incredibly thankful for that.
2: Definitely. I'll tell you something, something, and this is going to sound incredibly petty. I charge my phone whenever, whenever I'm in the car right now. Mm-hmm because if anything ever happens mm-hmm. i want to pull a battery to record it
1: <laughs> and i think that we yeah. should
2: and because and that's again you know the whole citizen journalism thing i think has been a critical point in this because again up until now, and as you alluded to earlier, anytime that people have shared their experiences, the question is, well, are you sure that's how it happened? Maybe you're being combative. Always. Maybe you were doing this. Maybe you were doing that. The, like, think the about biggest camera... thing they
1: want to say when you're talking about an arrest mm-hmm. is if, you would, if, if they would just cooperate right. with law enforcement and not argue. That's a big thing. Mm-hmm. People get up in arms about the arguing then everything would be okay. But right. they don't understand and what I think... Yeah. Um, if you're
0: white, that might work.
1: Exactly. <laughs> the other thing is, is what, what, what gets to me is that when I'm pulled over by an officer, I might be slightly nervous just mm-hmm. because nobody likes being pulled over and being ticketed for speeding or having it, whatever. But I'm not, A, afraid that I might be arrested just because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, there. B, I'm not afraid of losing my life. What they have to understand is that when the media picks up on and then the recordings all go viral about black people who are being very abused and oftentimes, not oftentimes, but I mean in some cases killed by Mm -hmm. law enforcement, that when you get pulled over, there's going to be a natural nervousness to your demeanor, which could A, come off suspicious, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and B... oftentimes when people are um having like a panic attack or they're anxious Mm -hmm. they're going to come off flustered argumentative
2: and that's what uh, my emotional yeah and that's what my friend you know so we had a we had a discussion around this um in our young adult ministry at my church and one of the young men um really cool dude he shared that he said that anytime that i see a cop driving behind me like i get a panic attack and he said he's It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because now he's nervous saying don't have this panic attack. Mm -hmm. But then he's nervous that if that happens, he might say something to the cop that he may not usually say. Or he may forget where he put his license or his registration, you know. And I mean, even for me, one time I was pulled over and it was crazy because I'm driving down a street. The car in front of me is speeding. Swerving. Speeding, swerving, right. Doing all these crazy things. Blowing past every stop sign as if there there was no four-way intersection. Wow. Driving like a rinky-dink car too. And it's like a hot red car, so you can't confuse the two. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I'm driving a brand new Honda Civic that I just got like the weekend before. And I was not even going that fast. And I remember that because I was changing the song on the radio. And I came to a stop, went to the next stop sign, and then came to a stop there. I get, you know, go. I keep going down the street and the cop pulls me over and I'm shocked and I'm wondering maybe he thinks I'm the car in front that was speeding and so he said, you didn't stop through any of the stop signs and at that point, like, I kind of looked confused. Well, no, no, no. Before he even told me that I should back up, he said, do you know why I pulled you over? And I said, no. He was just like, you know why I pulled you over. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then I said dear. Uh no I don't and now I'm nervous because I'm thinking of is my tail light out, like what Yeah, you start sweating. Right. And so I'm having you know, I'm getting really nervous and then he was just like, Don't be smart with me, you know why you got pulled over. I saw you blow through all those stop signs And so again, you know, I remember my parents told me like, Don't argue with the officer. But you're like, you I know
1: I stopped.
2: Right. And you know, my parents always told me like it's better to argue it in court where there's witnesses than it yeah. is to argue with the officer right then and there. Yeah. And he proceeded to say something to the effect of, you know, you people come speeding down these streets or whatever. And I'm trying to think, what do you mean by you people? Exactly. Like, you Honda drivers? Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. And then the crazy part about it was after he answered my license registration, like, he kind of, like, did the walk around my car. He said, I want to see your insurance, too. Like, is this your car? And I was like, What? you know that has
1: never happened to either of us in our it's never
2: and so you know and the crazy part about it was so like you know i don't think people also understand what that psychologically does when you have a car that is fully yours and you 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 feel like you can't even defend yourself to say no this is absolutely my car Mm -hmm. and the crazy thing about it was you know this happened when i was in college and i was talking to some of my white friends and they're talking about like oh yeah when i was in high school you know um, now, and then, you know, we're in Texas here, but in the north, the highest speed limits on the highways are really, really like 65. Oh, okay. And so people uh, will, you know, one time somebody was saying, yeah, I was going 90 in a 65 zone and the police let me off with a warning. I said, I can't even do a rolling stop at a stop sign yep. you know, right. without yep. getting pulled over. Yep. And ticketed. Um, and ticketed. Yep. And, you know, it's just a and whole demoralizing a huge, experience.
1: Yep. And that's the other thing is that not only are you gonna be flustered and nervous because of what's swirling around in your head, but then you're also embarrassed because they're treating you like you're a criminal and you haven't done anything wrong.
2: Exactly, and it's that that cloud of suspicion because even when he answered my insurance card, I blanked out in that moment mm-hmm. about where I put it in my car. Yeah. It's a new car. I don't know. You know, it's not like you've had your car for a few years and you always know like it's yeah. in the seat back pocket no, under the bubble fallen, gum and all yeah, that. Yeah, you're know, like it could have
1: fallen under the front seat, it could right. be in the trunk. I don't know where I put
2: it. And so the officer was giving me this look as if like I really was scared that I don't have insurance on the right. car. And so it's making it's amping me up even yep. more. And it starts even when you're young, because even when I was twelve years old, you know, we were at a dollar store and my mom, you know, had walked in with the basket. And like what often happens at dollar stores is that you come in with a basket and you realize you actually need a shopping cart. Yeah. So I walked back towards the entrance with the basket to go to get a shopping back. cart.
1: And you did where the items in the basket and you were going to transfer items, it over. Right. So I was going to
2: transfer it over and the clerk was in the middle of checking somebody else out, looks in my direction and says, you can't take that stuff out the store or no stealing or something of that nature. I can't remember exactly what she said. How old were you? And I was twelve. And so yeah. like that was my first experience with just walk feeling out with criminalized, the and everything. right? And the craziest thing is, we're in a dollar store. Why would I steal something yes. from the store? Do- like you know yes. what I mean? Like <laughs> I probably I don't need this so crap. Right? <laughs> so boldly. Like, and so boldly you put it in your Why pocket? Why would I walk out with a shopping basket that full has of the things. name
1: of the store on it? <laughs> it's unbelievable
2: it's unbelievable and you know and they have the security system that would have buzzed if I was trying to walk out the store yeah and to be clear the shopping carts were not at the door I was walking towards the door yes but the shopping carts were a good 15 feet from the door so so I wasn't even at the door yes and yet you have this cashier calling out as if I'm trying to steal some cheap toothpaste. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I promise you, I pr- even at 12, I had money. for t- Yeah, you know, what, exactly. W-
0: what's demoralizing f- for me in hearing that story is that that story and the, the story about the your experience with a police officer is that for Lori and me in our experience, really more Lori because she's the, the social media person, is that when she shares our experience Mm-hmm. with having a transracial family mm-hmm. is people's response is sympathy for that cop mm-hmm. and sympathy for that Dollar Tree worker. Right. Always. And that's what's confounding to me. It's it's they would, demoralizing.
1: What, the, what they'll say is they'll say the cop might have had a long day on his beat and right. he had already pulled over several speeders. Who they'll assign
0: a hypothetical. Yes. Mm-hmm. They'll say
1: the clerk is used to teenagers walking in and acting a fool. And th- that's what they'll do. And but, I don't understand why.
2: And here's the crazy thing. Because these the same people will go to Starbucks and get in their feelings because Starbucks got their order wrong. And mm-hmm. they're not thinking about, oh, well, maybe they had a long day more on this. Right. They'll fly off the handle and yeah. say, you put too much milk in my mm-hmm. latte. Right. But then when it comes to somebody being shot, you're going to for- formulate this backstory of yeah. what the shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah. And the meanwhile, you have hard, cool facts coming out that are saying no this is exactly what yeah. happened
1: body cam footage mm-hmm. witnesses that's what you mean by hardcore i mean you've right, got people yeah. that are about evidence oftentimes people say well you weren't you weren't there Lori, so you don't know well i didn't need to be there because other people were right and the thing is is that first and foremost people um in general it's like they don't want to believe the black voice
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you need well, to they have speak other from, witnesses they speak from their shared experience th- right. their experience right and their experience, and their experience has is- no idea what that it's
1: Their like. experience can walk out the front door of a dollar store with stuff and go, oops, I'm sorry, I forgot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I still had the stuff in my basket, and people are going to giggle and laugh, and it's no big deal.
2: Right. And the other thing that gets me, too, and you know, I'm often careful about how I say this because it can come across as arrogant, but even when people, you know, question my own experience about what happened the one thing that i try to say somewhat humbly to people is that i have no reason to manufacture racism right yeah. like i have no deficiencies i'm trying to cover up for i have yep. a master's degree i'm starting my doctorate this fall i work at a major uh, research one institution as a manager they are managing like a highly performing team that is highly regarded in the university you know what i mean i own my own house i drive a nice car I don't you know, there's no reason for me to make this up if it weren't true because I'm happy with my life and what I've achieved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's it's also insulting to imply that I'm making this up to get over because what am I trying to get over on? Yeah. You know, or what are like these people your- trying to get over on when they do these stories? They're not exactly. blaming you know what I mean?
1: how would you benefit from making up these stories? Right.
2: None. There's no benefit. There's no benefit. And honestly, and the thing about it is, and even as I talk to people who are very successful in life, you know, uh, people of color, you know, you look at their success, but even they had the reason why we still talk about it is that the success is in spite of the systems that worked against us yeah the system you know the success is in spite of things happening in college professors not wanting to cover african history in a world history course because nothing happened there Mm -hmm. um people assuming
1: in your sister's case that she couldn't be assigned to the honors dorm because she's black
2: people saying outright just racist things yeah um and people who knew People who could have stopped it but didn't do it. People who, in a Christian club that I was in, who said that we shouldn't do a prayer thing for Haiti because hey, the Haiti earthquake was a black people's problem. Like all of these things, you know, and then we're not talking, we're not even gonna get into like the, the systemic things um, exactly. about why black people are still paid less on the dollar than mm-hmm. their white counterparts. The fact that even as we talked about earlier, my perceptions, the fact that I've still managed to move up. Even with all of that. So, you know, it's not because, and I, again, I'm not saying that to say that I'm such an amazing person, this, that, and the other, but it's, just, it's to understand that I'm not making this up to get over, but it's because that success was in spite of all of that. Yeah.
1: And here's the other thing is that it's what it's some people don't ascribe to this police system but the fact that not everybody who's born is born with the same opportunities Mm -hmm. so in your case you were born into a middle class family who um, was successful and so you had more opportunity than maybe another black boy 10 miles down the road had right who might have been born to a single mother who might have been born into poverty who might have had these things Mm -hmm. so you two start off You start off on a better level with better opportunities than he does. Mm -hmm. But when it comes together and merges at the age of 20, you're still both black.
2: Exactly.
1: And nobody's going to care when they pull you over for supposedly running a stop sign that you have two master's degrees, educated Mm -hmm. parents, you go to church on Sundays, and you're a contributing member of society. Because Mm -hmm. when it all boils down to it, they don't know anything about you except you're black.
2: And they and they don't look past that because yeah. the funny thing of it too is that in a snapshot things look differently. Like I have a good friend, he you know he and I love talking about these kinds of things. He's also black and he's a VP um, at a major worldwide company. That if I said the name, everybody would know it. Mm-hmm. And he bought a house in an affluent area suburbs, drives a really nice car, and you know he he's was like saying, the show
1: blackish, right? He's like exactly. the dad <laughs> <he's not laughs> <on> blackish.
2: <laughs> And so, it's funny, though, because, you know, he even... Is that your friend? Yeah. Is, is your
0: friend Anthony Anderson? Oh, yeah, I wish. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, exactly. I wish. You know, I'm waiting for
2: Anthony to, you know, hit me up on Instagram. You right, go. You know, right. we have a selfie together and exactly. all that. Exactly. And so... It. Pick, up, pick, pick up dinner once in a while. <laughs> right, right.
1: <laughs> but basically, but this, he, this man is living the plot line of Blackish Without All the Children. <laughs> he is, because,
2: you know, he, was talk- he talked to me about how the cops even follow him. You know, follow him home um, every mm-hmm. time he goes to back to his house. Yeah. But what's interesting, he says, is that you know the way that he's treated is differently sometimes because. If he's coming home from work, he's in a suit and tie, and Mm -hmm. so they'll treat him one way. Yeah. But if he's just going out to the gym, you're wearing, like, what, sweatpants and a t-shirt? And he said that the way that he's perceived is different, because then he does look like, oh, well, maybe you are from the hood, maybe you are this, Mm -hmm. you know, versus, like, when he comes out of a high-level business meeting, and he's the one that's leading the meeting. And what's funny is that even with that, he said that, you know, sometimes he doesn't still have equal standing, because they'll want to talk to one of his white analysts who are under him mm. instead of working directly with the vp yeah I so you know it. it's it's crazy it. so it's not even you know i've heard the whole the model minority thing where you know if black people pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and did all this that racism would not be a thing but mm-hmm. if you could be the vp of this major company and still deal with that That's you right. know what i mean like but maybe it's not- maybe that white person had a long
0: day
1: <laughs> and the thing is, is that and, and,
2: and the
0: right. thing
1: of it is, is that black people did not create racism and they're not perpetuating racism right. another argument within the white community is well black people are racist against their own kind because they will call each other the n-word and they will um, have violence black on black violence is far more prevalent than white on black violence Okay, all of those things might be true but mm-hmm. that is just a small, in a screen. small
0: microcosm
1: It's a smokescreen that tries to say because those things happen, racism's not an issue.
2: So can we park for a moment, though, on the the reverse racism thing? Because I think that's a nuance that a lot of people, uh, the reverse Reverse racism, that black people can be racist. And I, I hear that often. And I do, too. There's a difference between racism and prejudice. Okay, so talk about that. Prejudice, anybody can be prejudiced, right? Anybody can have a less than opinion of somebody based on one of their identities, right? So a
1: black American may have a prejudice against a Mexican
2: American. Right. Same thing, they can have a prejudice against a white American. Yeah. Like, it can go either way. Yeah. Racism is when you empower those prejudices with structures and systems in place to perpetuate that. Mm Mm-hmm. There are not enough black people in this country to perpetuate any sort of racism against white yeah, people. That's why they called Because even the minority. if you right, I mean, even if you have, you know, if, if as a white person you deal with discrimination from a black manager at your job, mm-hmm. you can put your resume out there and next week be in any other job, right, where that's not the case. Yeah. If you're a black person and you and you deal with that chances are you're going to deal with that again yep. yeah yeah so, you could go
1: get another job and somebody at that job is going to treat you in that way
2: exactly and so you know and then we've talked about mortgage redlining mm-hmm. you know and all of that we've talked about the prison the prison industrial complex and mm-hmm. all those different things right. and so there are systems in place so yes black people can be prejudiced against uh, white people, but they don't have the social power to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's they don't the have difference.
1: the social, they don't have the social power based on their numbers right. and based on their social status right. to create a racist environment against the white community. Exactly. That, so what you're saying is, is that the terminology can, and I've heard other of my black friends say that, you know, black people can't be racist. What you're saying is it's not that black people can't have prejudices that are even malicious.
2: Mm-hmm. What
1: you're saying is, is that black people do not have the social power to make it a systemic problem. Right. And that is a fact.
2: Exactly. Yeah. That
1: can't, that is, that's undeniable. That's the part you wanted to park on?
2: Oh, yeah, just to, just to clarify that piece. Exactly. Because I've heard people say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, the reverse racism. And then the other thing, so, so in talking about the idea that we just assume people are white... Also, I think it's important to talk about the terminology that's especially used within circles that Billy and I are involved in with adoptive communities. First of all, they'll say, well, I don't even see color. They'll say, I don't care if people are red, white, black, or brown, or black, red, white, black, blue. Okay, well, no humans are red and blue. So that statement is, like, annoying.
2: And, well, red is also racist,
1: because you could be talking about Native Americans, mm-hmm. so like well,
0: and there was that blue guy on Oprah,
1: and yellow, right. <laughs> <laughs> and yellow could be a racist statement against the Asian community. Right. So like, mm-hmm. we stop with the I don't care if people are black, white, red. We, I don't need you to say that.
2: And the whole colorblind thing again. I, I think that it it sounds really enlightened at first, right? Yep. Saying I don't, set, I don't see color, but then when you color. think about it for a little while, like it's 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 highly problematic, yeah. Because the first yep. thing is that. You're making it sound as though race is something that should not be seen. Yeah, yeah I think mm-hmm. that race should be seen. I so think that I. race should be celebrated, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I think that there is, well, especially in as cultures. Christian. Yeah, exactly. God created these races, right?
1: And even if, races. Wanna, if, even if you don't want to, even if you don't want to go to the lengths of celebrating it, you have to go to the lengths of at a base level accepting mm-hmm. it
2: exactly because fact. this country when you think about the fact that it's a lot of racism like blending together even in terms of our culture the food the music you know all of that like that's something that i think that should be celebrated so you you're it's almost like you're ascribing a certain type of shame when you say i don't see color yes, as color is something to, to be ashamed of exactly but the other thing of it is that even if you consciously choose not to see race subconsciously you will always see it and you, uh, you know to. my one of the thing that i always say is you never see race until tyrone walks through your neighborhood you yeah. know what i mean yeah mm-hmm. unpack
1: what you mean by that we know what you so mean
2: tyrone um tends to be a black name yeah. um black male and you know again you have a lot of people who will say, Oh, I don't see race, this, that and the other but you may still be predisposed to think, Oh What's um, he doing what's he here, like here in he, this I've never neighborhood seen him before and they're seeing him, he looks suspicious. Yep. And again you know, some people will say, well, you know, maybe he does look suspicious, but do you apply that same rubric to somebody who is He's white and is white that you never met? You know, no. Dylan or whatever. Dylan, I'm trying to think of exactly. like a white name. Yeah, but, Dylan, perfect. You know, Tyrone versus Dylan. Are, yeah. Is your response the same? Right. If it is, then great. But right. you have to be really honest with yourself yep. and say, maybe
0: it's not. Well, a conversation that I had recently was to use your analogy. Mm-hmm. If Dylan were to go walking down a neighborhood in Oak Cliff, which is an area in Dallas that's um, predominantly you know, black, predominantly black, that's the same thing. And it's not. Right. It's
1: not. If Dylan it, walks. It, down it's a, a way of saying Cliff,
0: white people are racist, black people are racist. Right. It's like no. If Dylan right. walks
1: down a neighborhood in Oak Cliff during the day, probably no one's going to say a word to him. If Dylan walks down a neighborhood in Oak Cliff during the night, somebody may perpetuate violence against him. Mm -hmm. But they're not going to do it because they're suspicious Mm -hmm. that he is there under aggressive or criminal
2: pretenses. That's
1: the difference. Exactly.
2: Exactly. So
1: it's the suspicion that becomes a problem.
2: Exactly, and the
1: automatic the automatic assumption that this person is doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so, I think the point in just talking about this is that, by and large, and I think I said this at the beginning of this episode, white people do not are not comfortable talking about race. They do not feel that it's necessary to discuss racial things with their kids because mm-hmm. they feel that if they discuss racial things with their kids, then their kids will then become conscious of color,
0: mm-hmm.
1: ultimately because they are ignorant to the fact that their kids have always been conscious of color.
0: And, and maybe a good way to, to wrap this up is an illustration that we often share with the newly adoptive, adoptive families at our, our adoption agency. Is study that you had read
1: in Time magazine.
0: In Time magazine, and we'll talk a little bit about it.
1: The Time magazine article was many years ago. I'm sure you can look it up online. The article was "Is Your Baby a Racist?" and they had this white baby on the cover, and which is clearly a provocative statement to say "Is your baby a racist?" What they were stating is that these studies that had been shown proved that not that babies are racist, but that infants recognize the color of skin based on their caregiver. So if an infant is being, if a black infant is being raised by a black mother, then their preference is gonna to be to darker hues of skin. And the opposite would go if a white baby is being raised by its white mother, it might be more cautious around a black woman coming in and trying to pick them up. Because the, the color hues are immediately noticed from a very young age. So when people try to state that they don't wanna make their child race aware, The point of this article is they've been race aware from the moment they were born and could see Mm -hmm. and adapt to what was in their environment
0: well there was also the piece about they were they either had to watch movies Yeah, so they were
1: trusted the university of texas in austin was doing a study where they wanted to see how comfortable people were discussing race within their family units so they had people in the study who were white families and then they had black families in the study and they told both of the sets of families we'd like you to go home and for a week at dinner we would like you to discuss Um, shows on television like there was this cartoon at the time that was based on Bill Cosby called Little Bill so the main character was this um, animated character who was a black boy. That was my
2: show back in the day. I know so (laughs) cute such a great
1: show but um, they said we want you to discuss shows like Little Bill and show these to your kids. Um, We want you to read books where and they gave them the, the children's books where there was a predominant black character or a book that talked about racial racial issues. They said that before the study could really even get off the foot all of the white families dropped out, and when they re- when they requested them to, to give you them feedback about why you don't want to be part of this, they said we just we think it's ridiculous that you're asking us to go home and talk about race at dinner and have our kids watch these videos because then that's going to put it into their mindset to see race. The black families, of course, had no problem doing that. They mm-hmm. didn't have any problem talking about race because they don't have the privilege of not.
0: Right. Was it all white people that backed all out? Of or the all the white people backed out. Okay.
1: And that was, so the article was talking about how that study went south. Because they couldn't get enough white families to participate, and I believe it.
0: Mm-hmm. I think the solution. I mean, we're not gonna in a in a podcast. We're not gonna solve hundreds of years of racism. We're not. Um, Darn it. <laughs> that was the goal. Thirty but, minutes. Um, well, the book,
1: the book, uprooting racism, it talks about that. That you're not gonna solve the problem, but you mm-hmm. at least need to be aware of how you're participating in it.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think I, I think talking about it is the solution. Yes. Or it's it's a it's a strong solution.
1: Awareness.
0: Yeah. The terminology
1: of being woke is a terminology used typically to talk about a white person who gets it Mm -hmm. and i think that that's the only way we're going to bridge the gap is that we have to have more of that going on
2: definitely and i think you know and i think that like you said there's a way that we can all on a micro level be part of the macro solution right you know even going back to the mortgage example that i use it could be that one person in the mortgage office who says well wait a minute no we're not going to do that and it doesn't stop redlining everywhere but it at least solves a couple of cases right you know it's you know when you're at work and how we all have the meeting after the meeting at work right and if somebody says oh that person was really combative and say well were they really combative or were they making objective points like yeah. it's all those little things that we can do yeah. um i think that to help to help solve the problem as well i agree so should we get some ice cream
1: yes it's yes. time for our dessert
2: all right sounds good
1: <laughs> thank you Jarrett carter you. for being with us again we appreciate it
2: thank you thank you It was great to be here